everybody. How's it going? I'm pretty I'm pretty excited to be doing another episode. It's been a long time since I did my last one. I think it's been it's been over six months, certainly. But this will be episode 54 of the Mark Guy Show, and there's a ton to talk about. I mean, just like the last time, I took a a shorter break and then did a few more episodes, and there was plenty to catch up on. Very similarly, but uh, this time there's a lot in the markets that I'd like to talk about. Um, I think I've got a lot to say. On, on that topic, I think with what's been happening with, with Donald Trump recently, and I want to talk specifically about the bipartisan deal, the, the, the worst words you can hear in politics, bipartisan, the, the deal that was, that was the spending, spending bill that was signed by Trump that, uh, that averted the brief government shutdown that we had for a couple hours after midnight. Um, but I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the hypocrisy in the Republican Party and by Donald Trump himself, though I think he was probably more outspoken that he was going to be a big government guy and that he never he never talked about reducing deficits or about really getting spending under control. If you listen to, to the policies that he was advocating, he was going to be similarly big government to, to Hillary Clinton. Maybe his spending was going to be different. Maybe he was going to allocate more money to the military. He sounded more likely to do an infrastructure deal, which it, it sounds like they're going to try to roll out this week. They're talking about a $1.5 trillion infrastructure deal. But you knew Trump was probably going to be big government. Anybody, I think that most rational people who were saying, even if they were saying that Trump was the lesser of two evils between him and Clinton, that it's not like Trump was going to be a small government guy. Nothing that he said sounded like he was going to be small government. There have been some small regulatory rollbacks and the tax cuts, but nothing's happening on the spending side. Things are spiraling out of control worse on the spending side. And if we if we go into a recession, say there's a bear market here, it it, it triggers the US going into a into a recession, they're gonna be they're gonna be rolling out multi trillion dollar deficits probably because the the way that the Keynesian uh, the Keynesian orthodoxy works is you run, you run uh, deficits in in bad times in recessions to stimulate aggregate demand to stimulate the economy, and then you're supposed to run surpluses or at least reduce the deficits in the good times. But they're they're expanding the the deficits now when we're supposedly in this fantastic economy when everything is is great, and this this stock market hiccup is just a small hiccup. Uh, the, the bottom's already happened. That That's what they want us to believe. They want us to think that this is an actual bottom and that things are going to keep going up. Things are going to keep going up like they have been over the last year and a half, two years. I mean, you could you could extend it back further, but what's been happening over the, that period, the last year and a half to two years, is substantial. I, I think people have such a short memory. They've, they've forgotten the type of returns you had in the stock market the last two years. So if I pull up... Um, I, I was looking at this just to get my just to get my numbers down here, but if you look at the Dow over the last two years, and and where it was, it was at sixteen thousand. Let me get this here, sixteen something. I want to get the number correct. Market Watch is not agreeing with me. Um, it was at uh, about sixteen four. And at the high, it got up over 26,500. So we had over 25% returns over the prior two years. And 
even if you take where it is now, it's still been almost 25% returns over the last two years. Now, th- those are substantial returns. And that, and that wasn't coming out of a, a major dip or something. That wasn't coming out of a recession where, you know, you did see, you did see pretty large returns coming immediately out of the Great Recession. And we're still eking our way out of that, I think. I think the recovery has been has been greatly overstated. But you've had those types of returns for two years. And now we get this we get this little dip of, of, of 10%, this little correction, and people think they want to say confidently that this is a bottom, that things aren't going to go further, that things aren't going to go to where they were a year ago, you know, around 20,000 or something like that. Like, I don't think that's a, a wild take whatsoever when you've seen these these return or these wild returns based on very little i think corporate earnings have been stronger um so the fundamentals have improved but have they improved to to the rate of 25% annual returns is the economy that much stronger or are we still dependent on uh on easy money on cheap money on low interest rates i I'd, I'd be much more willing to argue the latter so i i think that the, the trend is downward from here on. I, I think we're going down to 20,000 on the Dow. And it's not like the Dow is, you know, the, the other indexes have had similar returns, the NASDAQ, the S&P. Um, so the, the point stands regardless of, of what U.S. index you want to use. Now, do I think that's going to happen this week? Or, you know, that, it, that everything's immediately going to go down to that point? I don't think so. There are going to be some bounces like we've seen in this volatile week. There are going to be bounces. Things may go up for a couple of days, but I think the the trend for the foreseeable immediate future here is going to be downward. You don't just get 25% annual returns for a couple of years without correction territory happening, which I know we're already in, but bear market territory being a very real possibility. I don't think enough people are talking about that being a possibility. It's something people should be prepared for people should be prepared to try to weather the storm here and maybe try to position yourself better if uh if you're able to do that depending on how your assets are allocated right now but i think people are still too optimistic but there's kind of this weird divide where some people are very optimistic and they're saying buy the dip that's what people have been very used to during this run-up things have been going pretty steadily upward you know, you can you can extend that beyond the last two years, but every time there's been a dip, it's it's rebounded very quickly. But what if this is the catalyst? You know, we haven't seen thousand plus point drops during that run up. We, th- um, these two drops are the largest single day point drops in the history of the Dow Jones Index. So, of course, on on a percentage basis. That's not the case, but in terms of absolute point drops, there had never been a single day 1,000 point drop in the history of the Dow Jones, and we had two in a single week, occurring on the 5th and on the 8th. So I don't think people are reacting enough to this. I I don't think the answer is to necessarily you know go to your financial advisor or whatever and pull all your money out of the market, which I think some people are reacting that way, but other people... Like, I don't think that's the, that's the right course of action either. Because as we saw, you know, a lot of people were, were saying the stock market was overvalued prior to the, the last two years and, and missed out on a lot of returns. So you still have to have some exposure, I think, to the U.S. stock market. But the answer isn't now to go and, and buy this dip. I don't, I don't think that's the, that's the right course of action either, unless you have nothing invested in the U.S. stock market. Uh, 
and you want to get some exposure. But, you know, don't put all your eggs into the U.S. basket now. Don't take either of those two extreme approaches. I think that's where I'm trying to position myself right now is to still have some exposure to the U.S. markets but have some have quite a bit of money internationally and on the sidelines and then wait and see how this plays out. But that's not getting enough talk how large these absolute point drops are. Now, of course, Black Monday in 1987, that was a 23% drop in the markets and that was a 500-point drop because the the Dow Jones was under was under 2,000 at that point in time. So we're, we're over 10 times larger now. So a 1,000-point drop is only 4-something percent. Uh, so we had, I think, 4.6% drop and a 4, closer to 4 was the other way. One was almost 1,200, one was just over 1,000. Uh, but that's pretty notable to, for both of those to happen in a single week, and especially when you look at what the returns have been over the last two years. I think we're, we're set up for a bear market like we haven't been in a long time. So that's where I am on that right now. I think this trend is it, is going to continue to be downward over time. It'll be interesting to see what happens this week. It'll be interesting to see uh, how how things react after such a such a wild week last week, such a volatile week last year where you had these huge intraday swings too. Uh, but I think the, the more important thing I want to talk about and – the topic that's always on everybody's mouth. It has not ceased whatsoever since I recorded my last episode, but Trump and, and what, what's Trump doing? And you, you're seeing things get more and more divided where you've got the people who really supported Trump during his campaign and they want to be proven right. They want to be proven right that he's making America great again, that he's smashing the leftists, that, uh, that he's winning and that America is winning. And so they're defending everything he does. And they're willing to embrace things that they would have criticized so much under Obama. And that's happened, you know, things that Democrats criticized under Bush, they were willing to accept under Obama because they liked Obama, because they supported Obama. They, they liked him personally or they liked the way he spoke or, you know, whatever it was about him. I think primarily that he was a member of their party. Now he's one of us, so we're going to support what he does, whereas if it's a Republican doing it, they're going to criticize him. But the Republicans are the ones we need to put on blast now. They're the they're the hypocrites right now. During during the 8 years under Obama, they were they were willing to to talk hard about deficits. They were willing to stand tough on deficits. And what's happening now? Their guys in power, their party controls uh, both houses of Congress. Their party is in control. Their party could do something about the deficits. The, the Democrats are maybe standing nominally in their way, but they could make major progress on the deficits if they actually cared about them. But they don't. So they passed the tax cuts, which I'm, I'm always going to favor a tax cut. But when it doesn't, when you increase spending at the same time, when you're just making government bigger, that's that's really what determines the size of government. How much is the government spending? Taxation is important, and I could talk about taxation all day, but the spending side is where we've gotten ourselves into trouble. Where that's where we're we're borrowing hundreds of billions of dollars a year and adding trillions of dollars to to the debt, to the U.S. debt. So 
what the Republicans did in in supporting this this recent spending bill here to to avert the government shutdown is it's reprehensible and it goes against what they came out and, and tried to say and and for anybody now who wanted to say maybe maybe the Republicans woke up during the during the eight years under Obama and now they're they're principled again and standing against big government standing against spending they don't stand against any of those things so this deal has a 165 billion dollar increase in military spending uh, 131 billion dollar boost to domestic program spending uh, an extra 90 billion dollars in funding for disaster relief efforts uh, and m- multiple other uh, other things it, the the CBO estimated that it would cost about 320 billion dollars and that most of that 320 billion dollars would come in the first year so it's an extra 320 billion dollars we've got here we had we had tax cuts that are going to add an estimated 1.5 trillion dollars to to the debt, uh, and that's probably a that's probably a conservative estimate. So the Republicans aren't doing anything to make government smaller. You had what they would tout as being this huge victory in the in the tax cut battle, and maybe some progress was made there for some people. I think I think my tax burden will go down. I think uh, somebody like my parents in New York State, their tax burden is probably going to go up. A majority of people are going to see a tax reduction, and, and that helps. Like I said, that's a step in the right direction on the taxation side, but the spending side is is where the hard battles have to be fought. That's where people are, are really going to fight. That's where the Democrats are really going to fight. Uh, so that's the hard one to get through. That's that's the hard place to find reductions. And I've said this before on the show, so this a lot in private conversation, but until you address military spending and Social Security spending and Medicare spending, nothing is going to change at the federal level. The deficits are just going to keep growing and growing, and n- nothing's going to stop it until we have a, a sovereign debt crisis, which... I don't think anybody wants to go through. I certainly don't want to go through, but that's the only way that this ends if we don't stop this. But the Republicans are are accelerating our demise. The Democrats maybe acceler- maybe accelerated a little faster, but they're both pushing it in that direction. And the Republicans, once they have power, they want to give out more goodies too, just like the Democrats want to do. Maybe their their goodies are allocated a little differently, but they want to do the exact same thing that the Democrats do. We have two two big government parties that don't represent people that that don't want the government intruding in their lives and bigger government regardless of, of how it's you know how it's spread out depending on what you're making uh, what part of government you're making bigger it all still moves in the same direction and that's the point I've tried to make before where you have Bernie Sanders and and, and people like him and and I, I try to have discussions with his supporters and I think there is common ground where we're libertarians and the Bernie supporters can talk about can talk about uh, foreign policy and personal liberties, and there is a lot of common ground there. I think we could have a conversation about those things. But once libertarians try to take it from, okay, you need smaller government in order to not have this adventurous foreign policy and to not have the government invading your personal liberties, so we need to make it smaller overall, and that also includes not getting involved in people's economic lives. That includes not putting onerous restrictions on business. That includes not taxing people uh, at, at higher levels. You, you say all those things, and I think that's the most, that's the most uh, 
cognitively consistent thing that you can that you can say that yeah we want if we want small government in this area we're also going to have small government in this other area i think that makes a lot of sense but that never gets through to them but that's regardless of if they want to accept it you can you can say whatever you want are the intentions of your government like oh well we want we want government to be big in this way to to achieve these goals but we're not going to let it get big enough to to do these other things to harm us to to intrude in our lives regardless of what you say the incentives are that's what happens that is what has happened throughout american history that's what is happening now that's what's happening under democrats or under republicans or you know whether you put anybody that that thinks similarly into power anybody that thinks that the government can be used as this tool to achieve these uh, these grand objectives, anybody that thinks that, or any any party that's in power, that that gets into the federal government and and wants to do things that way, it's it's going to result in increased taxation and more adventurous foreign policy and invading more in our economic and personal lives. So thank you at least to Rand Paul for trying to stand up and delay delay the vote on this bill and to you know, try to stop things from progressing. And it wasn't even that lofty of a goal that he was trying to achieve, but at least he was willing to stand up and say, I, I can't stand here as my party when we've been talking badly about deficits for eight years under Obama to for us to now do something that's going to drastically increase the deficit on the spending side. Uh, I think it was good that he, that he stood up and did that at least. But I think these two things are these two things can be tied together. These are not two distinct pieces of news. So talking about the stock market falling and and what really precipitated the market falling is related to what's happening with the government. So interest rates are slowly ticking up. And yeah, short-term rates are ticking up because the Fed has increased the Fed funds rate target. They've increased it a little bit more aggressively under Trump than they did under Obama. So that's picked up a little bit, but it's not just on the short end where rates are going up. Rates are going up on the long end as well, and the Fed has less control over that. What's driving that, if you look at the 10-year Treasury rate, prices are falling there and and yields are going up. And of course, it's not a straight run up and there have been some declines and, and some increases, but when you look at what's happening with the Fed, and you look at what's happening with the federal government, that they're going to be running larger deficits. And if we actually do get, if we actually do get into a recession, they're going to be running much larger deficits than, than are currently projected. But the Fed has said that they don't want to, they actually want to reduce the size of their balance sheet. So they're not going to, they're not going to monetize the debt. They're not going to buy up the debt that the treasury has to, has to issue in order to fund the government's activities. And that's what's been happening. That's what that's what happened during the whole quantitative easing program is the Fed was buying up this this debt that the Treasury was issuing. But now their balance sheet is about four point five trillion dollars or so. They've said that they actually want to they actually want to cut the balance sheet. So they actually want to sell some of these bonds rather than buy more treasury bonds, rather than buy more assets. And that hasn't happened yet. They they haven't started cutting back on their balance sheet. They have they have not started quantitative tightening in in those terms. Yeah, they've increased rates, so it's a tighter environment than it was. But they still haven't sold any of those bonds that they bought up during the quanti- quantitative easing program. So 
what happens if if the Fed actually wants to keep up this pretense that they're going to tighten, that they're that they're going to they're going to reduce their balance sheet, and the federal government is running is running huge deficits? Well, those are going to have to go out on the market. What happens when you flood the market with supply? Prices fall and yields go up. I mean, there's there's no other way for rates to go. And rates aren't going to be going up because we have this this strong economy. That's what that's what some of these people these they have this simplistic thinking that well yeah rates go up when economic times are good and then rates fall when they're bad and it's so simplistic when you look at when you look at an asset like the ten year treasury for example it of of course, how the economy is doing does matter to rates, but it, it's not that simplistic of a relationship. So can, so can we really expect that rates are not going to pick up if, if you see debt as a percentage of GDP continuing to go up, um, U.S. debt going up? Uh, you have to have buyers out there for these bonds, and they'll buy them at a, at a price. You know, They'll buy them given a certain yield, but can we expect for that yield to remain 2.8%? On the ten-year, I don't think so. I don't think if, if they're going to have to be selling trillions of dollars in bonds, that that prices aren't going to fall. And of course, what happens in the rest of the markets is going to dictate that. There could be a huge flight to safety, and you know maybe maybe the U.S. is attractive in in that situation. Maybe maybe Treasury bonds are attractive in that situation. But given where things are headed, and given what the Fed wants to try to do, now we'll see if they actually do that. And it's very possible that the that the Fed w- say that the stock market decline accelerates over the next couple weeks, and we actually do get into bear market territory. Maybe the Fed pulls back. Maybe they start talking about quantitative easing again. Maybe they actually cut the Fed funds rate again. You know, who who knows what actually happens? We'll see. We'll see what Jerome Powell does. But it sounds like he's going to be similar to our to our prior uh, chairmen and chairwomen that. If there's a real decline, if if things in the stock market are are really, if there's a bloodbath out there, that they're going to cut rates, they're going to do what they have to do to put out the fire. Now, of course, this bubble could have a could have a another large run up before things actually get ugly. But with what I talked about earlier, having having the two largest single day point declines in the history of the Dow Jones, not on a percentage basis, but on a on a nominal basis. Things don't look great in the markets, and so it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what happens. But if the Fed wants to keep up this pretense that they're going to continue to to hike rates and to eventually reduce their balance sheet, and the U.S. is running larger and larger deficits as Trump tries to push through uh, spending on the wall, tries to push through infrastructure spending, which. I want to talk about briefly. I, I haven't looked at the details on this yet, so maybe that could be a topic for an episode this week. So I'm just going to talk about the issue of infrastructure in general. And inc- a lot of people on both the right and left talk about infrastructure spending as being this panacea, as being, well, and this is all couched in Keynesian language, but yeah, we're going to spend on infrastructure and we're putting that in the workers' pockets and they're going to go out that's going to stimulate aggregate demand and we're going to, we're going to get new bridges and new roads and and all that great stuff so it's a it's a win-win it's increasing government spending and increasing gdp and as a result aggregate demand and everybody wins that's how that's how infrastructure spending is presented to the public really and presented in mainstream economics but 
just just think about what's happening when so money's being taken from people through taxation you know or the government's borrowing it but either way so let's say let's first talk about let's say that the 1.5 trillion dollars here is taken directly from the american public gone out and spent on infrastructure infrastructure is a very long-term asset you know the the benefits from that are spread out over the next 50 to 100 years so yeah you're going to derive benefits from that but they're going to be you know they're going to be stretched out over that 50 to 100 years you have to basically you know basically accrue that benefit over time so if this isn't something people are willing to go out and spend money on on their own that money is being taken from them Maybe they would have done something else with that money. Maybe they would have paid down debts that they had or invested in something else or gone out and spent it right away on, on something that benefits them immediately. They would, have, they would have been the ones to make that decision. But instead, that money's taken from them and put into this, this asset where the benefits are spread out over this long period of time. And people make those types of decisions all the time on their own. You know, People decide to, rather than go out and uh, buy food for the week, they decide to to go and put a down payment down on a house. That's a long-term asset. Or maybe they go out and pay cash up front for a house. And yeah, that's an asset where you're, you're accruing that benefit over time. Similarly, it's a long-term asset, but the people are making those decisions themselves. But let's also talk about the other alternative, the other extreme, which is the, the government borrows $1.5 trillion and spends it on infrastructure. Now, this isn't that much different but instead now the people have to pay that money back over time and in the future they have to make interest payments on that so the benefit is still accruing over time but you're making interest payments maybe paying down the principal over time the way the u.s government operates i mean they're not paying down any principal they're continually adding to the total borrowing that's what's happening is the debt the the overall debt is increasing Um, but either way the government's making this decision that well, infrastructure is the best thing we could possibly spend this money on, rather than al- than allowing people to make those choices themselves. Uh, the government's making it for them, and and yeah, one point five trillion dollars does boost aggregate demand. But either way, it it's it's being taken out of the economy elsewhere. So in the first scenario, the one point five trillion dollars, if it's being just t- taken from the people and immediately spent on infrastructure, well, that's now one point five trillion dollars that people can't use to go and and buy a house or to go and buy a car or you know put in a savings account or pay down debt or whatever that you know would would provide benefit to them and would boost aggregate demand in those ways um, so or the borrowing the 1.5 trillion dollars eventually has to be paid back and so eventually will take away from from demand at those points in time in the future as the principal is paid down and you're paying interest over time too which is sucking money out of the economy but infrastructure is not this panacea and i I know i've talked about it in the past and i i'm probably repeating myself i didn't go back and listen to what i said on it in the past but uh because i think somebody had asked me to talk about it you know probably a year and a half ago or something so i'm probably repeating myself like i said but but people generally on the right you know kind of establishment republican types they fall into this a lot where they think they they like military spending as a type of stimulus and a lot of them have embraced the wall which i guess is kind of a type of infrastructure it doesn't that doesn't immediately come to mind uh, as as infrastructure but 
it falls under that same you know that same type of of mindset maybe some people say well roads and bridges and everything i know that people will derive benefit off of that and i and i think the wall would ultimately hurt people and that's valid but from a from a keynesian perspective you know from an aggregate demand standpoint it's not really different now i know what people will say is they will say well our infrastructure is a is a huge issue and we have this crumbling infrastructure and i agree with that but does that mean that we have the resources to be able to repair that right now? The next argument is, well, interest rates are never going to be this low again, or you know, this is not this is not a normal interest rate environment. So now is the time to borrow money and add to the debt because it'll be easier to service. But it's not like the U.S. government is going out longer. It's not like the U.S. is is issuing a whole lot of of thirty year bonds, and if they really want to cut spending elsewhere and redirect it toward infrastructure okay i mean it would be from my perspective uh a net zero you know would they would net each other out if they'd be willing to cut military spending to then allocate to infrastructure that's probably a step in the right direction it's at least spending money at home rather than throwing it away overseas but they just want to add this and, and that's how it's being presented now too just add this as new spending that uh, we're going to spend an additional trillion on infrastructure. Now, like I said, I have not looked into the details of exactly how this is structured, so I should look into that before I talk about it in in any more detail, but that's how Trump has brought up infrastructure in the past. That's how it's been presented. Now, we'll see how the the plan actually looks. So maybe that's, like I said before, a good idea for another episode to really dig into specific things and there are probably cuts proposed in, in other areas, but I'm sure there's there's new spending proposed as well. So the point remains true, whether it's $1.5 trillion in new spending or $500 billion in, in new spending. But I think the other important thing to think about when we're talking about infrastructure is, should the federal government be involved in infrastructure? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, you can then carry that further should the government be involved in it. But I think for these purposes, we're talking about the federal government and what they should be doing. And is it smart to be centralizing that power in D.C. and then having them dole out money for infrastructure rather than the individual state governments and the local governments figuring out how how best to, to repair their infrastructure? But I think the federal government is the least efficient way to, to carry this out. And... Nobody's really nobody ever really talks about it that way. People don't want to argue against infrastructure spending because like I said on the right and left, they think of it as this this universal good. They think of it as being a good use of government resources and as a thing that people benefit from and as something that government must do. They they think all of those things. So nobody really wants to stand up and argue against infrastructure. But it's important it's the same exact conversations we have when talking about anything else that the federal government does and centralizing the power there. When you centralize where the money and resources are coming from, it's easier for people to leech off of off of that money, for people to, to get entrenched in that system because all that money's coming in. If you have billions upon billions of dollars coming in for a given purpose, that's an easy target for lobbyists to come in. That's an easy target for all the leeches to come in. Whereas if it's more decentralized, yeah, you still have the problems with government inefficiency. You still have other problems, but it's at least not all centralized in one place. So that's important too. I don't, I, 
that's the same argument we can have about any issue, so I don't want to go too deeply into it, but always need to keep that in mind as well. So I'm recording this on Sunday night. I should have it have it out prior to Monday morning, but whenever you're listening to this, maybe I'll look like an idiot this week for what I said about the stock markets, but I, I don't think it's going to be a good week. I, th- I think it's going to be another volatile week, but I'm sure I'll be talking about that again, either to um, reinforce what I said about it or to to explain what ends up happening. So it should be exciting. Thank you for tuning in after another long hiatus. I'm going to be trying to put out at least one episode a week. This is always fun to do and I missed doing it. And I think it would just, I just need to commit to spending an hour or whatever doing it every week. And I, I, I can definitely carve out enough time to do that at the very least. So thank you again and have a great week. 